I'm Joel Brandt speaking to you from the John Clark Performance Studio here at Classical Public Radio, and I'm really thrilled to welcome a special guest in for what we call a performance chat. We're going to hear a performance and uh, some chatting as well with uh, a banjo player, banjo player and banjo virtuoso, Bela Fleck. Bela, welcome. So great to Thanks. have you. Thanks. Good to be here. Appreciate it. Uh, Bela will be performing with uh, the uh, Western Piedmont Symphony this coming Friday night at 8 o'clock. They'll be in the J.E. Hill Civic Center in Lenore, and they'll be playing the Imposter uh, Banjo Concerto that uh, Bela composed. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But first, Bela, I'd like to ask you about... Uh, your name, I know it's Carl Anton Leos Fleck. So somebody in your family was was a fan of music. Who was that? Uh, yeah. Um, well, actually, my, my father named me Bela, Bela, Anton, a- Bela Anton Leos Fleck after composers. And um, I guess they had a deal that if we were boys, we uh, he would name us. And if okay. we were girls, my mother would name us. And, right. and she lost out on both me and my older brother. Who, okay. Who got the name Ludwig, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> and um, I actually was the lucky one with Bela as a first name. So you grew up with music in the household. It was just Well, they the... actually split up. I don't know if you ever oh, heard yeah. of the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue, mm-hmm. uh, where, where you give someone a name, uh, right. a name Sue, and then they learn how to fight. And I think that was probably the, the true goal <laughs> of our names, because uh, he was out of the picture when I was one year, one year old on. Oh. And didn't meet him till quite a while later. So, uh, but ironically, my my mother uh, married a, a cellist huh. named Joe Palladino, and uh, and so we ended up being around a lot of classical music anyway. Was there other music in the household as well? Well, we played a lot of music, a lot of records. Yeah, you know, this was the early '60s, and music was booming and exploding in all bi- all different directions. And just being kids growing up on the Beatles and everything that came after it, uh, my brother and I were big music fans. Well, that's how I learned my music uh, stuff was my dad was a collector. Uh-huh. And so a lot of records were played in our house. So, uh, yeah. that's That was the fun thing to do back in those days. You <laughs> just sit and listen to records and absolutely. talk about it. Yeah. yeah. So was it Earl Scruggs, really, who uh, turned you on to the banjo? Yeah, it was a very strange thing because uh, I was visiting... We were we were visiting my grandparents in Queens. We uh, we lived in Manhattan, on Hundredth Street and the West Side. And we were visiting my my grandparents, and they let us watch television in their bedroom during the day, which was very unusual. <laughs> and the Beverly Hillbillies came on, and I still remember it because the sound was kind of one of those galvanizing sounds. The banjo just I was like, what what's going on? It was like all the chromosomes, my chromosomes rearranged or molecules rearranged or something happened, and it was a very profound moment. And um, my brother, who was sitting right next to me, I said, did you hear that? I shook him, and he was like, what? And I was like, well, wait, it'll come back on, it'll come back on. And at the end of the show, there was a little, you know, go to ending credit thing, and it came back. I said, there, there it is, there it is again. And he was like, well, I guess it's okay. But for me, it was uh, an awakening of my dormant Earl Scruggs gene, <laughs> which uh, banjo players, um, most banjo players get activated by hearing Earl Scruggs himself. It's kind of like vampires, you know, unless you're, you're bit by Dracula, you're not a real vampire. <laughs> I remember that theme myself. It's very, very vivid in my memory. Yeah. His, his playing was just extraordinary. Yeah, and it was a silly song, but the banjo yeah. playing was not silly. No, it, it, was, it, again, it was very prominent in the mix, as I remember, too. It, it was, was just really out there. Yeah, it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. How many different banjos are out there as far as models and designs? Models? And oh, designs? gosh, if you want to go back to the, uh, the, the from the late 1800s, and to start there, you're going to find thousands and thousands of them. That was the real boom time, was the end of the 1800s and into the first 30 years of the 1900s. And Bluegrass and Earl Scruggs really came out of the embers of the banjo uh, glory days. 
you know, after the banjo orchestras were gone and and uh, people had moved on from that kind of music. How many banjos do you own? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Am I so wrong for not knowing? No. I've got closets full of them, and, and uh, I have uh, probably a dozen of the really great old vintage Gibsons that I tend to play that are from the 30s, from between 1930 and 1942 or so, which were the great years of the of the, the Gibson yeah. bluegrass banjo master tone flathead. Yeah. This one was called a Style 75, and um, that was because it cost $75 in 1937. But now it would be more like, you know, at le- you'd be lucky to get one for 75000 and could be wow. a, a well up over 100 I'm not, I think it would depend on the tour that you're on, but how many instruments do you take out on the road with you? Well, I always take this one that uh-huh. I have in my hand right now. This is the one I got. This is the, the Style 75 that sort of became my banjo in, in, the 80, in the early 80s, 1981, when I first got it, and I kind of bonded with it. And if a musician is lucky and they find an instrument that is their instrument, it's fortunate for everybody because you really get to where you can do what you intend on that instrument. And of all the other banjos that I've, I've bought and tried just to see if there was something better or just for investment or whatever, I've never found one that I can do what I can do on this one. Just feels right. It feels right, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's have you play something. Okay. We've been chatting a while. Let's have some performance. All right. How about that? What do you got? Let's see what happens. I'll just start playing, and then I'll tell you afterwards what I did. Okay. I have an idea of something. Thank you. 
I heard Jed and all his kin in there. Yeah, it's always <laughs> a good ender when you don't know what to do next. <laughs> so that was just an improvisation, basically. Yeah, I mean, there was a tune in there that I sometimes play that I sort of worked my way into by improvising. Then when I got to a point where I didn't want to play it anymore, I just improvised around some more. And then when I was thinking it was time to stop, I played Jed Clampett. Has uh, improvisation been uh, an important part of your your musical life? It is. It's a big piece of what I do, and that's one of the things that's so challenging when I play with an orchestra is uh, I don't improvise very much at all. And I know that there are some musicians from outside of the classical world who um, who will improvise a lot over an orchestra situation, but that wasn't what I wanted to do when I finally got a chance to write a concerto. I wanted to see what I could come up with um, by composing that I couldn't come up with improvising. And improvising is a very um, stream of consciousness kind of thinking, and you don't always have the time to really work out all the details of some of the things that you might think of. And you, you go, well, I can't figure that out this fast. I'll just keep on playing. And other, th- other great things happen where when you're composing, you can sit there and mull over for months how a passage is going to go. And so I wanted to see what I, could, what I could figure out that way that was different from what I always do. Uh, you've had quite a musical odyssey, starting off with bluegrass to to newgrass to the flectones, uh, collaborating with uh, jazz musicians like Marcus Roberts, and uh, who's a great piano player. He's one of my faves. Oh, mine too. Yeah, He's great He's stuff. Awesome. Yeah, and Chick Corea, who is Chick Corea, yes, another freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, Zakir Hussein, oh, uh, great player, another freak, and. Uh, so I, I just wonder if it was a part of your plan, if you even had one, to, to want to take the banjo in some different directions. Or, or initially, did you think, well, bluegrass is it, and I can't do anything more with this? Or do you want, did you want to go in, an, in a new well, direction at I some com- point? Coming out of the 60s, like all of our heroes were musicians that were like breaking new ground. And even with the Beatles as being one of the first bands that just blew my socks off, um, every record was different from the last and they kept on growing and changing. So I thought that was part of the job of being a musician or an artist. And the, the ones that didn't seem to be continuing to change, us New York kids would kind of look down upon. Oh, you know, they're past it. They're not doing anything new anymore. So that was indoctrinated in me even before I started playing, just as a fan of music, that I, that I wanted to grow and, and try to avoid the, the sort of snares that life throws at you as you get older that might lead you to not concentrating as much on those things. And then... Um, I found that uh, my background in, you know, where I grew up and the different music I had listened to made me, you know, pretty good at figuring out ways to fit into other kinds of music because I liked so many different kinds of music. So I never, um, my goal was never just to be a bluegrass banjo player, although there was a period where I really focused in on it because I wanted to, if I was going to play any bluegrass, I didn't want it to be half-assed. I wanted to actually know what Earl Scruggs sounded like and why and um, what his banjo did and because um, I felt that growing up in New York, I had some strikes against me in perception from people that were not from the Northeast, that maybe people would go, oh, well, he's a Yankee banjo player, he plays a lot of fancy stuff, but he doesn't actually understand the roots of the music. So you wanted to study. I really wanted that. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to really spend some serious time, and it paid off. And then I moved to Tennessee and uh, and got to be around people like Earl Scruggs himself and Bill Monroe and, of course, Sam Bush and Newgrass Revival and all the bluegrass community that I could learn so much from mm. about that world. Um, but then what was interesting is that when I left that world in 1990 and started playing um, with with the Flectones, everything I had learned in bluegrass came into play in that uh, I was a solider musician. I had a better sense of time. I had a better sense of what tones the banjo could make 
and how to how to bring out because that's one of the things you always find about the masters the old guys they always have this sound mm-hmm. and a lot of times the young guys don't have that so I, I developed my own sound concept of what I wanted my banjo to sound like and a lot of the rules that you learn in any one kind of music you can bring with you to the next kind of music even just to refer to you know like okay well bluegrass okay I'm going to jazz okay well we both have improvisation so the rules of bluegrass is they you know it, it's in a shorter span usually the improvisation and it's usually within a particular mode so okay, now we're going to play it in jazz. Okay, it's a longer improvisation and it goes in some different modes. It's not like starting from scratch. You know what to attack. You know, so I think it's always important for young musicians to have one place at least that is a super home base that they really know inside and, and out. And bluegrass has served as that for me. Yeah. Jazz was an important uh, uh, facet of the flectone sound. Yeah. Um, now, jazz, you were speaking of a sound of a musician. I'm a jazz fan. Yeah. And the great players... You can recognize. You can right. say, "Oh, that's Coltrane," oh, yeah. or "That's Miles." Or uh, so, are there jazz musicians that particularly influenced you in your approach to, to the banjo? Yeah, definitely. And 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 one of the first one that just blew me away, and I wanted to know what he was doing was Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. And it was like uh, I still think of him as like the Bach of of jazz, and that he he just broke it out and and went all over the key centers and bravely went into new tonalities but mm-hmm. it was it was a uh, it was a sp- particular stylistic approach to all of that that obviously people like Coltrane came in and and made mincemeat of in their own way everybody all the great jazz players that we think about all had a really unique approach to the whole thing the ones we talk about Miles Davis I don't want to play bebop I don't want to play that fast and slowing the whole thing down mm-hmm. and creating this incredible bed for guys like Coltrane to come in and just paint on top of which was quite different from the music the fast-paced bebop that was going on before that so it's pretty interesting pretty fascinating to compare the different musical forms too now you're still working with the flex tones are you not well we're in a break period we take uh-huh. these extended breaks but we will be back and yeah. we're already talking about the next period which will probably be a couple of years from now and we'll yeah. go back out how long has it been now I think two years. For the Flectones. This will be our longest hiatus whole, so far. As yeah. a whole, though, for the Flectones. How long has it been? Since, oh, uh, yeah. 25 or 26 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And with guys as creative as that, um, if you're not constant, if we're not all constantly um, excited and um, being challenged... Um, Why do it? It's not a good thing. And yeah. so at a certain point after we realized we'd already spent, you know, the, the bulk of our musical careers playing in this band, we all felt like, well, let's go out and do some other things and this will still be here for us. And we can come back to it and keep on touching bass and then go on. And, and then we come back with a lot of fresh energy and, and we all get better, I think, from the experiences of playing with different people. Okay. Uh, I want you to play something else in yeah. a minute here, but I wanted to ask you about... Um, Electronics, yeah, and the banjo, yeah. Now I know you're into that too. Talk to me well, about I that. Well, I was with the Flectones, and and you know, there's, the more time goes on, the more I just get into playing the banjo huh. itself, and this one in particular. Um, and it's really fun to like plug into a bunch of stuff and have a whole different sound. But it, it's the same commitment that practicing is. So if you want to be good at being electric, you have to spend immense amounts of time studying the ways that you produce produce sound as an electric musician and as you create each sound you have to spend a lot of time developing playing that goes with that sound mm-hmm. so in other words with electric music there's a potential for notes that have lots of different envelopes delays um, different kinds of sustained distortion which means fast music won't always work on it maybe now you have to find a way to play slower so that you can hear all those cool sounds that you just made so things like that so that that the time involved in that, and especially in the, these years when I'm not playing with the flectones, um, I'd rather put that time into writing for orchestra, um, practicing my banjo, and and 
being an acoustic musician. But when the when the band comes back, I'll probably start again, like studying what what are uh, what options are open to me now. Yeah. What is technology brought along? Because the Flectones are always embraced whatever's new, uh, in a way to uh, make our each record different from the last. Well, let's hear something else. Yeah, how about I play a little uh, excerpt from the uh, second movement of the Imposter? I'd love that, and, and we can talk about uh, the concerto sure. itself after cool. after okay. that. This is uh, uh, these are sections that would normally be played interrupted by orchestra music, but I'm pu- I put it together into a little sort of something. <laughs> okay. Thank you. 
Well, I heard all sorts of different things in there. I heard Bach, I think. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's an interesting integration of uh, strands that I can't really identify right off, right off, right off hand. But uh, I heard a lot of different things in there. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if they're good things, but there's a lot of things in there. Well, <laughs> you know, it's 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 what a lot what, of things, and you integrate them well. Oh, thank is you. What I should say. Thank you very say. much. And a lot of those parts are really. Um, some of them are even support parts where other instruments are playing duets. And that was one of the fun things in that piece is I looked for places where I could drop the whole orchestra just down to two people. And so there, uh, there's a, in that particular section, there's even a viola solo and a, and mm. a uh, cello solo. And in other parts, well, they're duets with me. They're not really solos. There is a contrabassoon solo in the, in the piece that is, uh, is, is pretty fun because the orchestra always appreciates that I gave the contrabassoon player something to actually play that, that's a soloistic player thing. appreciation appreciation mm-hmm. appreciation and then some nice too. duet things with uh, banjo and uh, and clarinet and uh, bass clarinet and and oboe so it's a lot of fun to drop down to just two people in the middle of a big piece piece like that uh, I know previous to the imposter you uh, did a double concerto with uh, Edgar Meyer and then you did a triple that's right Z- Zakir Hussein added to the, the two of you yeah and uh, I want to ask you about composing on a large scale for an orchestra. Yeah. Uh, I, I imagine that was a learning curve for you. That's right. That was the first time. I had seen friends of mine do it. Like uh, I saw the uh, Edgar's first um, concerto debut, I guess premiere, and I also saw Mark O'Connor's. Hmm. And of course you can sit back there as a friend of theirs and watch it and go, hmm, why did he do that? You know, it's easy to be the armchair quarterback, but it's something else to sit in the hot seat and do it yourself. Um, but after uh, Edgar gave me the opportunity to to uh, to write one with him, where I could supply opinions, melodies, counterparts, etc., but he had the grand plan. He uh-huh. was the one who said, "Well, this works. Mm-hmm. This is what needs to happen. This is how we're going to orchestrate." And I let him be the leader, um, and uh, and just contributed, in, you know, in every way I could. Um, that was helpful because then I saw that a real human being could write a concerto. It didn't have to be somebody who's been gone for 200 years, and um, and I liked his stuff so good, so well. I mean, I thought he was a, he was just doing such incredible things that really appealed to to my mind. There's a lot of math and stuff in his music, but mm. it, it's always got an incredible feel and soul to it. So then, working with Zakir, we got to do it again. And at this point, uh, and Zakir also presented some incredible things, although Edgar once again drove the boat. And after that, those two, there still hadn't been a banjo concerto, a standalone banjo concerto. And although Edgar would have been happy to write it or co-write it with me, I was starting to feel like uh, little brother needed to, to, to prove that he was, you know, could kick it with the big boys, especially since so many other friends of mine had done it at this point. I'd watched Edgar do do several of them at this point. I'd watched Mark. I'd watched Chris Thiele even, who was a little young mm. punk as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he came along and did it before I even got to mine. So now I love Chris, and we're, we're, we're going to do some playing together in the future. But uh, here he is, you know, 25 years younger than me or maybe more, and he and he did it before I got to it. So finally it was time for me to do it and just get, get in there and try and... Um, it was a great experience. 2011 was when you mm-hmm. premiered the piece. Yeah, yeah, with the Nashville Symphony. Yeah, and then and I was told I'd be lucky to get you know any other performances at all, and um, but we were actually able to get a Deutsche Grammophon contract and and record 
the premiere and some we did some recording sessions the the, the last night after everybody left the orchestra came back and we did some patch they call right. it a patch session right. it was a very tense thing to be involved with by the way <laughs> for people like me where, where the clock is ticking and the union is standing there and oh, yeah. you've got you know 15 minutes to grab any little section that you think might not have happened for editing purposes but anyway we got a good really great recording of it and then I've I've played it with some great orchestras including people like the Philadelphia and uh, and Cleveland orchestras which is a pretty pretty cool and maybe 30 different orchestras at wow. this point and they, they keep on coming so I'm in the classical music business how about it and I've got a second <laughs> commission uh, now for uh, another banjo concerto uh, which I'm starting to think already about what didn't happen in this one that would be opportunities for the banjo in the setting and maybe take some of the things that I've learned from playing it so many times now um, and apply that yeah. and those understandings to doing it again so it's called the imposter why is that? Well, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, the banjo, I keep waiting for somebody to say, wait, wait a second, what's the banjo player doing doing here? Get him out of here, you know? And honestly, I've had that recurring nightmare for, you know, my whole career because I'm always in situations where there's not normally a banjo player and I'm afraid somebody's going to unmask me and say, you don't know what you're doing. You don't belong here. You need to get out of here. I've been in that situation a few times where I actually knew it myself, where I was playing with jazz musicians that were just too heavy and I was just dragging the thing down and wow. I would, that was embarrassing but uh, I, I would step out if that when that happened but a lot of people are kind enough to sort of go to your level like when you play with Sakir just because he's the greatest Indian musician living or one of them he doesn't go well now I have to show you everything about Indian music and you're not good enough to play with me he goes what do you understand I mean this is all happening with unspoken he says what do you understand and what can I do with that and how can I help you right. play your stuff better and uh, and that's the way it is with Chick Corea too. He doesn't expect me to know how to play all the things that he knows how to play, but he he looks for the things that I do well, and I look for the places I can stretch by being inspired by playing with him. And we find places to meet, you know, meet in the middle. So that's that's the imposter feeling, you know, because if Chick could play a lot of things, and Zakir could play a lot of things, and so many classical players could play a lot of things, and I would be I would just have to stop playing, and there's no way I could follow it. But there are places I can participate and that's what I'm usually looking for and hopefully nobody kicks me out. Can you play a little Bach before we finish up here? I can try. I can't promise anything about the level. I, I bet you'll do okay. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your confidence in me. stop there before I embarrass all of us. <laughs> <laughs> that was fine. Thank you. I enjoyed that a lot. Bela Fleck uh, is here in the John Clark Performance Studio. Uh, Bela will be playing with the uh, Western Piedmont Symphony this Friday night at 8 o'clock at the J.E. Uh, e. Broyhill Civic Center in Lenore. 
and uh, at 7.30. I'm sorry, I was corrected about that. I had 8 o'clock on my sheet here. It is indeed 7.30. Western Piedmont Symphony, J.E. Broyhill Civic Center in Lenore, uh, Bela Fleck performing his imposter banjo concerto uh, with the symphony. Bela, it's been great having you here. Appreciate it so much. My pleasure. I enjoy it.